Hey, Crosswalk. Listen, I, I hope you had a good week. Um, I had a good week. Let me tell you why. Yesterday was um, Sarah, my wife, and my 25-year anniversary. And I don't know, many of you have probably been married for 25 years and think, oh, you haven't even gotten started. But we had our 25th year anniversary in the year of COVID. And um, such a strange time to be living in general. But to think back on our 25 years has been pretty phenomenal. And so I know this is gonna play like four times on a Sabbath, but I just wanna say to my wife that I couldn't imagine doing this without you. I'm incredibly blessed. We have this amazing family and you have not only supported, but you have led often. And so I just wanna say thank you for being the amazing person that you are, for continuing to travel along this life with me. And I look forward to the next 25 years. So, you know, that's how we get started. And um, if you are, are celebrating something with someone this year, I want you to really just feel as if um, you can just love on that person and let them know how much you care about them. We are finishing up our series in Faith by Design, and we only have two verses to go over this week, but we've got a lot to talk about. So this letter kind of ends differently than many of the epistles that we usually see, whether we're talking about Pauline epistles or the Johannine epistles. Um, this one's a little bit different. Rather than greeting those in the community and giving grace and peace to them, he speaks to the calling that God has put on every single one of his followers. But before we get to that, I want you to think about what is God's call, what is God calling you to do? Right? What is God calling you to do? Now, you've heard me talk about this a lot, of course, not just through this series, but through pretty much every series, because there's always a call to action that God is giving us in everything that's written in Scripture. But the first question we have to ask is whether or not being called by God is simply for workers who are quote-unquote spiritual. And like I said, you've heard me talk about this before. The answer is, of course not, if I can answer it in a kind of Pauline way like he does in Romans. Should we sin more so that grace may increase? Of course not, I'm saying the same thing here. Calling is not simply for spiritual workers because we are all called to specific gospel work. Now, while it's not all the same calling, there are calls that are put onto each and every one of our lives, and they relate to the gospel. Whether it's witnessing, helping others return, mentoring towards maturity, working with young people, gifts of music, worship, prayer, support, we all have a work to do that God has called us to. I mean, what do we do with these callings? And so I've got three ideas of what we do with these callings to help us kind of understand. And we'll, we'll go through these before we get to the scripture. Remember, it'll be James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but we'll get there. The first thing you have to do when we're talking about calling is you have to identify your calling, right? How do you do this? The way you do it, and this goes along with our design thinking, is by auditing what you are already doing for God, what comes naturally, and what, what people are most blessed by. It's almost by default, right? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is already working to make you effective, and it usually matches your spiritual gifting. So let's talk about spiritual gifting really quick because spiritual gifting and calling are, are just hand in hand. So Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians list 16 different gifts all together. So let's go through them really quickly, shall we? The first one is the gift of administration, 
right? Getting things organized. The second one, and these are in alphabetical order, so they're not in order of importance. Understand that. Apostleship or pioneering. I love it that we put those two together, apostleship or pioneering. That's different than pastoral ministry. An apostleship is the ability to go into places and walk into spaces and be able to change them for the gospel, pioneering work for the gospel. Of course, there's the gift of discernment or being wise in the midst of it. The gift of encouragement or exhortation where you give to people the things that they need to continue their work in the gospel. There's the gift of evangelism, which is being able to tell somebody about Jesus no matter what season you're in or what season you're out of. There's the gift of faith. There's the gift of giving, which everyone can appreciate. There's the gift of hospitality, and every church needs those kinds of people, and quite honestly, every person needs those kinds of people in their lives. There's the gift of knowledge. Some of you love to study, and you love to share your scriptural knowledge with people. There's the gift of leadership, and I've sat on lots of boards with people who are just incredibly gifted in leadership. There's the gift of pastoring or shepherding, and I see that so often in my work. There are some people who are just incredibly gifted to carry along a group of people. They, they shepherd them towards maturity. There's the gift of prophecy or perceiving. Now, we, we obviously have you know, a history with that as Seventh-day Adventists, and we also have this idea that maybe it's not happening so much. So maybe we can ratchet it down from the idea of a biblical prophet, but we still have people in your life, hopefully, you've got people who still can perceive certain things that are going on in your life. We all need those kinds of people too. There's, of course, the gift of teaching, a serving kind of ministry. There's the gift of showing mercy, and of course, there's the gift of wisdom. Now, that's a pretty conclusive list, 16 different things, and hopefully you found yourself somewhere within there. But I got to ask you this question. What if you are not doing any of those things? What if you are not taking care to do those things? Is, does this mean that you're not gifted? Is that what that means? And certainly the, the answer to that is, of course not. It's not that you don't have those gifts, it's that you're not doing anything with those gifts. Because if you're not doing anything with it, it's time to reevaluate, reevaluate. And that's the beauty of design thinking and faith by design. If it's not working, if you're not being effective, if you're not being engaged, you can be today when you submit, confess, and begin to build again. And it might be that you simply, and this is number two, don't understand your calling. And so you need to begin to understand your calling. You might know or you might not know what your calling is for. But instead of languishing and saying, God hasn't gifted me in any way because God has gifted every single one of us, you should then begin to investigate what your particular gifting and calling is for and what it can do. One of the easiest ways to do this is find a biblical character that expresses your same calling and study him or study her. This is an easy way for you to be able to understand the calling that God has on your life and the gifting that will help that calling become a reality. The second thing that you can do after finding a biblical character is find a person in your life with the same, same gifts and ask them to mentor you. Once you've identified your calling and once you've begun to understand your calling, then the third thing that you need to do is exercise your calling. How can you most clearly and effectively exercise the gifts and calling God has given you? Remember, most of us have multiple gifts with an emphasis on one or two in abundance. 
So what gifts has God given to you in abundance? What do the people around you say that you are kind of good at and, and they, can be, they are deeply blessed by in your life? Now, one gift is not greater than another, and they all work together for the kingdom and for the grace of God to be expressed more clearly in the world. And here's the amazing thing about your gifts and the amazing thing about your calling. It's this, that God will place you in a situation where you can exercise your calling most profoundly. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you as you are moved into a place or situation where your calling can be used and can be used most profoundly. And, and you'll begin to see the world through your calling and through your gifts. And this is true for any preacher, let me tell you. Once we begin to understand that we have the gift of exhortation or preaching, we begin to, to see the world as illustrations for the next time we get to share the gospel with someone. Our kids get tired of it, our wives get tired of it, or our husbands get tired of it. But we begin to see the world through that gifting, through that gift. Now, it's certainly not the only gift that you can see the world through every single gift. If you have the gift of hospitality and you see the world in a way where you reach out to be the most hospitable person that you know, you are changing the world and you can be effective. And effectiveness is really important to the kingdom. I believe that. God does not want us to languish. And we can talk about the parable of the talents. We can talk about what God has gifted us with and what he expects from us. But maybe we should ask this question. How do you protect your effectiveness for the kingdom? How are you able to continue the work given to you? Or what impeded the work of the gospel through you? Now, here's one of the things. We ought to understand that when we lose our influence, we lose our effectiveness. So how do we lose our influence? Well, many ways, but James in particular has spent a lot of time talking about the sin of speech. Perhaps this is why James goes back to this sin above all others in this epistle. And I've spoken about it extensively, so I'm not going to spend more time on it other than to say in today's world it's more true than ever. Because in today's world, we have a problem. At least here for us who are in the U.S., we've never been more divided, we've never been more scared, we've never been more angry, and we've never been more in danger of losing our witness to the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Everyone has an idea that their ideology or their candidate or their philosophy is what will save us. But I want to be really clear on one thing, and this goes to everyone who's listening today. We first serve Christ. We do not serve Caesar first. Let me say that again. We first serve Christ, not Caesar. And what that means is that all of us, no matter where we fall, need to seek the kingdom before we seek the empire. And I got to tell you, for those of us in the U.S., the next two months will be relatively difficult. Things are not getting more unified. They seem to be getting more divided. There will continue to be this partisan divide, continue to be accusations between followers of different people. There will be anxiety and frustration, people being triggered and deeper entrenchment into our ideologies. This is going to be tough. So what are we committing to as the kingdom of God? What are we committing to, even though we're all not going to fall on the same line on the spectrum? Well, I can tell you this as a church, it's very possible that we might not make you happy. This is a call to everyone listening. Some will think we have said too much. Some will think that we have not said enough about a myriad of issues. 
Some will think that we have fallen into one trench and another will think we have fallen into a different trench. As the trenches get deeper that people are digging into, the falls become even more dangerous. But this is what I can tell you. We will continue to look to Christ for solutions. And I believe that Jesus meant what he said. Therefore, we've got to study Jesus like we've never studied Jesus before. That's why we're going to delve into the book of Matthew for the next eight weeks starting on the 19th of September. So I guess there's a question that we have to ask ourselves as we move into this time. The question is this, do you trust Jesus Christ? Do you trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? Do you trust that God, Jesus, is working in the lives of others in your church? Do you believe that God is working in the lives of other people who agree or disagree with you in the world and claim to be followers of Christ? It might be time for us not to lean so far into the trenches that are being built, but into trust in Christ because leaning on him, his grace, wisdom, and courage will continue our influence for him and for others. And by the way, this leads us to the text today. And it's only two verses, but they're important ones. Remember, I said this book doesn't end like other epistles. So let me read it to you. James 5, 19. My brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I got to tell you, these words are really interesting in how they finish. It's really fascinating. So as we study these verses, we realize that James is using this more intimate brothers and sisters language to encourage them to listen with open ears. The truth he is talking about is the truth of Jesus. He says, if someone, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, what is the truth? The truth is the truth of Jesus, okay? Him crucified, resurrected, ascended, and interceding for us today. That is the truth he was talking about. It's not about the works. It's not about a lifestyle. It's not about anything other than Jesus. But he says then in verse 20 that you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now there's interesting things going on in this text because it's like a bonus. Both the sinner and the one who brings him or her back, who still has influence on them to bring them back, will be forgiven and will be saved as well their sins will be covered. Now the language is interesting because we ask the question, well, is it, is it the person being brought back whose sins are forgiven? Is it the, the person who went out to get them? Are their sins forgiven as well? And the answer to that is yes. God is in the forgiveness business. And when we have the opportunity to bring a brother or sister back, all of heaven rejoices. I mean, have you ever brought someone home who was wandering? Have you ever had the opportunity to do that? Have you ever found someone you thought was lost? If you're a parent, you know the fear. If you're a child, you know the relief. If you're a friend, you know the joy of rediscovery. But maybe we need to get back to the root of the problem. How do we lose people? Sometimes it's proximity, right? Sometimes it's busyness. 
Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's offense that either we feel or we've given to them. Sometimes it's pride and arrogance. Sometimes we simply let them go because they don't agree with us 100%. But when we bring people back, oh, there's joy. When I was, man, I don't know, I must have been eight, nine years old. And I was at, and some of you who grew up in this area and might be my same age, some of the youngers of you are not going to remember, the younger of you, but there used to be this place, and, and I don't even call it the same thing now, but there used to be this place called the Tyler Mall when it was really like old school mall. And I've got the story about being lost in the Tyler Mall. I hope you'll indulge me for just a moment. We were at May Company, at the May Company. Because one side was the May Company, one, the other side was Broadway. I guess we were at Broadway, I'll remember that now. We were at Broadway, and Broadway had this, this bunch of magazines at it. And so my mom was, was doing something, she was shopping for something. And I went, I told her, hey, I'm gonna go look at the magazines. So I went to go look at the magazines. And you know, when you're a kid and you don't really know how much time has gone by, we didn't have phones that we used to carry around. We just, we didn't even have watches. We didn't know anything. It was just like, oh, the sun's up, we should be playing, the sun's down, we should probably go to bed. And so I was looking at whatever magazine I was looking at, probably some skateboarding magazine or BMX magazine. And it seemed like a really long time. And I remember putting the magazine back and looking around and thinking, they left me. They left me, they didn't, I mean, I, I knew that they probably cared about me, but they left me. And so I did what I never should have done, is I began to wander. And I walked out of the Broadway, and I started walking down the mall. Now I remember certain stores distinctively, right? I remember the Levi Strauss store. That was a big one. I remember Orange Julius walking by standing there hungry, wishing I could have an Orange Julius. I remember the guy behind the counter saying, do you want an Orange Julius? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, okay, it costs this much. And I went, I don't have any money. I remember walking all the way down one side of the mall and getting to May Company. And by the time I was at May Company, I was upset. I was, I was scared out of my mind. I began to cry. And it was not the pretty crying. It was not the cute crying. It was the ugly crying of a, someone who is deeply lost and doesn't know if they're ever going to be found. I knew where I was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where those who loved me were anymore. They had gone and it was just me. And while I knew I was standing in front of May Company, I didn't know how I was ever gonna be found again. I remember actually turning around and, and walking down the other side of the mall and going by Carl's KB Toys, I think it was, it, was, it, it was at that point. I went by KB Toys and I went by Foot Locker. You remember Foot Locker, those guys with the, the referee shirts that seemed like they should know something. They didn't know anything. I kept walking, I kept walking. I remember going by, I think it was Forever 21 or Wet Seal. Maybe it was Wet Seal back in the 80s or, yeah, the early 80s. It was Wet Seal and looking at all those, those you know, girls in there that looked beautiful but didn't, you know, weren't going to help me. And I, I remember walking all the way back to the Broadway and thinking, well, I'm back where I started. But you know when I got to the Broadway and I went back to the book rack, to the magazine rack, my mom walked up and she said, hey, are you ready to go? And she looked at me and realized I had been crying. And she said, are you, are you okay? And I said, I can't believe that you left me. And she said, I never left you. I've been here the whole time. So we need to be the people that are here the whole time. 
the fear that I had in that little journey that I took when I was all alone. I thought my parents didn't care about me. I thought my mom didn't care where I ended up, but she had been there the whole time. See, God never leaves us. It's usually us who are leaving him. And God depends on us. God depends on us to get those who have wandered away and bring them back. At the end of all this crazy time that we're living in, who will you need to find? Who will you need to find and bring back? And will they even let you? Will you still have influence over them or influence with them because of the way that you've continued to treat them? Will they give you a second chance so that they might give God a second chance? Because friends, we believe in the God of the second chance. Our God is a God who gives us second chances. We know that to be true. And we are a people of the second chance. But the question is, are we a group of people who are always waiting to be found by Jesus again when we stray? Because the God of the second chance wants us to be his second chance for other people. Someone brought you back, chances are. Who will you bring back? And in this deeply divided and contentious times, how will you maintain your relationships so when we all come back to church together, because it's crazy that in the midst of all this, we don't get to worship together, but how is it and how do we treat one another in the midst of all of this that when we come back to church together, we still are united in the body of Christ? Can we do that? That means we're going to have to live above and we're gonna to have to lean in to his grace. Studying this book has led us through a series of teachings that are both helping us understand who Christ is and what he values, as well as how we can live out true religion in our lives. We've called it Faith by Design because we've learned principles of design thinking, empathy, defining the problem, ideating around the problem, prototyping and testing, so that we are constantly called to be in that cycle so that our witness will be the most powerful thing about us. So today I'd like to end where I began, which is this, in this time that we are living in, what is God calling you to do? What sort of second chances are you going to give and are you willing to take? And how are you continuing to maintain and grow your influence so that you can use your gifts that God has given you to show others who Christ is, regardless of the times that we are living in? Sometimes I wonder what it means to be united in Christ in such times. So this is gonna be hard work. And there's gonna be times when you're uncomfortable and there's gonna be times when I'm uncomfortable. And we're gonna to continue to lean in to grace and justice and mercy. We're gonna to continue to lead in to what it means to be Christians through this contentious time. And we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at the book of Matthew and we're gonna say, hey, who is Jesus in all of this? I just want to remind you that your God is deeply in love with you. And while we don't always know why things are happening in the world, we can know that God is still in control, even when it feels like everything is out of control. This is the time where our faith becomes real. And so as I ask, as I ask you to pray today, I want you to think, I want you to think of where God can work in your heart to give you grace to soften your edges, 
I want you to remember that we serve Christ, not Caesar, first and foremost. I want you to remember that grace is a grace for everyone. And when we get to heaven, we will be worshiping with the, the throngs, with the multitudes, as it says, together. And we need to be working to figure out how we do that here now. Let's pray together. God of grace, you ended this letter with this call to action that we might go out and seek those who are lost. And Lord, some of us are lost and need seeking. Some of us are ready to go out. And some of us are not ready to go out yet because we're angry, we're hurt, we're nervous, we're scared. Lord, give us a sense of courage. Give us a sense of strength. Give us a sense of wisdom. And Lord, may we be the second chance to other people that you were to us. Continue to grow the kingdom through us. And Lord, may it be you that we lean towards always. That may look different in everyone's life, but Lord, may it be you so that when we come back together and we find ourselves worshiping together, we don't have to apologize, but we get to see one another, rejoice in the friendships that we have, and grow in grace. Lord, bring us back to you. In your name I pray, amen.